Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 16, which is appropriate since we'll be looking at examples from the life of our 16th President of the United States. Engaging Lincoln, part one, five secrets nearly anyone can use to be an extraordinary leader. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. I'm your host, Jesse Leahy. And I'm your co-host, Marty Leahy. That's right. Dad and I bring different perspectives to the question of what makes an engaging leader. Dad has more than 25 years of experience in Fortune 500 leadership roles and as CFO of smaller organizations. And 10 years ago, he started up a restaurant and catering business that he still leads today. So Marty brings a financial and operations perspective, which is a good balance to my background as a leader of a communication consulting firm. Thanks, Jess. Uh, well, our topic today is a, is a great one. It's, uh, it's called Engaging Lincoln, Five Secrets Nearly Anyone Can Use to Be an Extraordinary Leader. Right. Now, you and I started talking about this topic uh, several weeks ago. I had picked up the book uh, Lincoln, a Team of Rivals on my Kindle totally unaware that the movie Lincoln was just coming out. I, I'm sure that the only reason I found it on my Kindle was it was being promoted because of that movie. But I have long been fascinated with Lincoln. Uh, this was uh, the probably at least the, the third or fourth biography of Lincoln that I've read just in the last few years. He, he is consistently ranked as the top one or two presidents in the history of the United States. And after the last few biographies that I read, I really had a hard time understanding why he was continued to be known as such a great leader. And part of it maybe is just the perspective that different authors had had put on his life and his contribution and what you know what they were focusing on. But when I read Team of Rivals, it it act it finally made the whole thing clear why he was so important. And so you and I started talking about that, and you've been reading the book too. And uh, we, we decided, let's talk about what, what really set him apart. And we discovered we really couldn't fit it into a single, into a single episode. So we're going to make two episodes out of this. And part one are going to be five secrets that nearly anyone can use to be an extraordinary leader. I would say that Lincoln was definitely a genius but these five leadership uh, principles that he followed are things that anybody can do, or nearly anybody. That's right, Jess. And next week, in the second episode, we're going to be looking at the six tactics that nearly anyone can use to be an extraordinary communicator. But let's get started today on the, the first of these five. And first of all, let me say, I was kind of amazed at how this, once we got this all put together, how it so much... Uh, parallels what we talked about in the last podcast when we were looking at you know the five demotivators. This looks like the flip side and the positive side of those same five. But number one is get the right people on the bus and then give them full authority to make decisions appropriate to their accountability. 
Well, anyone who's read Jim Collins and Good to Great will recognize that phrase, get the right people on the bus. But then when you look at Lincoln's life and example, you see that not only did he was very careful to get the right people on the bus, you're not doing yourself any favors if you get the wrong people on your team. Get the right ones on the team, but then make sure you give them full authority to make the decisions that are appropriate to their accountability. When he stepped in the office, the South had already seceded. He didn't even have a unified North, and he didn't have a, a fully prepared military. He didn't have money enough money to actually sustain the kind of force that they need, needed. And the Europeans were, a lot of the European countries were, were threatening to intervene on, the, on behalf of the South. So he had a very complex situation. Uh, and even his own party, even the, the Republican Party was, was brand new and was not fully united. So to get the right people on the bus, it's amazing what he did to, to get some of those right people on the bus. I mean, Dad, what, what's, that, what's the story of Stanton, how he brought Stanton on as the, as the Secretary of War? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great story. Uh, some years long before uh, Lincoln became president, when he was uh, working as an attorney in, in Illinois, there was a case involving the McCormick Reaper. The trial was going to be held in Illinois, and and the company, which I, I guess was based out of out of Washington D.C., you know, when they looked around to, to find a local attorney to to uh, represent him in the case, uh, Lincoln's name came up as a, as a good choice. So he was hired to represent the company in the trial. Well, somewhere along the line, um, the case got moved over to Cincinnati, and nobody bothered to tell uh, Lincoln about it. So he just kept doing the research and getting the case ready. And meanwhile. Uh, the Cincinnati attorney uh, that McCormick tapped was none other than Stanton. So Lincoln shows up for the trial in uh, the beginning of the trial in Cincinnati, and Stanton sees this basically what he sees is a country bumpkin show up and totally snubs him, uh, you know, more or less humiliates him by ignoring him completely. And so uh, the, the trial just commenced without any, any input from, from Lincoln. And so, you know, here years later comes uh, Lincoln's looking around to find the best person to get on the bus to run the War Department. And of all people, he remembers, uh, you know, what, what a hardworking, hard-charging, smart guy Stanton was. And of all people, brings him on as his Secretary of, of War. It's just amazing to think that he had the magnanimity to, to look beyond that previous humiliation. And what the War Department at the, at the time needed, it, it, was, it was basically a, an office full of corruption, disorganization, and he needed someone, as you called him, a bulldog, plus someone completely honest, and, and Stanton was known for that. And so despite Stanton snubbing him and actually saying some nasty things about him, I think he called him a gorilla to other people, uh, he brought him on his, on his cabinet. And Similar stories are there for the Secretary of State, Seward, and uh, Chase, uh, who is the Secretary of the Treasury, and, uh, and others where he, he picked people that really he should have considered his enemies. He did it both for the skills they brought to the position, but also because he needed to balance all sorts of competing interests in the Republican Party and in the North, because he had such a fragile team uh, that he had that he needed to um, 
to to keep the the country uh, together as a union. And then when you look at so many of the stories where he gave them full authority to make decisions appropriate to their accountability, he didn't second guess them. If you fast forward to the summer of 1862, after the North had been defeated in the Pennsylvania campaign, and, and Stanton himself was being greatly criticized because the General McClellan tried to shift all the blame onto Stanton. Well, Lincoln supported Stanton publicly, and he took full responsibility for the outcomes, and yet he continued to let the team have authority and accountability for the decisions. Uh, So not only did he take the blame himself, but he still, a lot of us would be, okay, maybe we're magnanimous enough to take the blame, but we don't step in. But then we're going to say, well, but you guys couldn't protect... You know, I I can't let myself get burned again. But he actually let them continue to have the authority. And and Stanton, together, partnering with the Secretary of State Seward, they came up with a strategy right after that defeat. The the North really needed to recruit more troops, and yet there was no public support for that. Like, what? You guys want us to send even more soldiers when you can't even do a good job with the ones you have? And so Seward came up with this idea where he talked to a group of the governors to sign a circular asking the president to call for 300,000 more soldiers. So, so as far as a publicity campaign, it looked like demand was coming from the states, not from Lincoln and the, and the federal government. And then uh, they, they also promised each recruit an advance of $25. And, so, and that was totally done out of Stanton's authority. So they still felt fully empowered to keep you know making decisions and you can see that they felt accountable as a team to be successful you know seward could have just let stanton die on the vine but he was stepping in because they wanted the the team to be successful so that's that's some of the genius uh if you will of lincoln but it's really kind of a selfless genius that leads us right into the second point which is mutual respect and involvement the way in which you know Lincoln fostered these relationships with the guys like Stanton and Seward. It's so obvious that he viewed everyone as his equal. He, he, he saw that everyone was fully human, no more or no less important than him. He never felt superior over anyone. And my, of all the stories, the, the, you, there's so many stories on Lincoln about this, but one of my favorite is when he met Frederick Douglass for the first time. And Frederick Douglass was a former slave and one of the foremost voices in the anti-slavery movement. And he had a large, large following, both among the abolitionists, but also just among the the free blacks in the North. And he had a platform. He he had a newspaper that he um, wrote in. And he was very critical of Lincoln because if you were one of the really ardent anti-slavery people, you felt like Lincoln was always moving too slow and he was too moderate. And, and uh, you know, they wanted very bold words, quick action. And so he, Frederick Douglass was, was, was frequently criticizing Lincoln in print. Well, when he finally had a chance to meet Lincoln in person at the White House, he came away and he said that Lincoln was the first great man that I've talked with in the United States freely, who in no single instance reminded me of the difference between himself and myself, of the difference in color. 
he treated me as a man. He didn't let me feel for a moment that there was any difference in the color of our skins. And he went on to say, the president is the most is a most remarkable man. I am now satisfied that he's doing all that circumstances will permit him to do. What's what's amazing about that, that he would say that about Lincoln, even though Frederick Douglass had already met dozens of celebrated abolitionists, you know, well-known anti-slavery personalities. And yet he said that Lincoln was the first great man that he've talked with that in no single instance brought up any idea of superiority over him. That's just an amazing, amazing story. And when you talk about mutual respect, I mean, that's just a, a shining example. And, 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 you know, and, and Lincoln's humility, too. Now, I'd just like to take a quick break from our content today to say thank you to everyone who has submitted a review for us on iTunes. We have recently reached 30 reviews on iTunes. And let me say, if you haven't yet provided a review for us and you might think, gosh, they've had 30 reviews, they don't need me, let me say directly that we do need your review. If you'd be willing to rate us, preferably five stars, but uh, write a sentence or two to say uh, what the show means to you and just and just give it your testimonial. Um, that makes a huge difference. We are now in our 16th episode, and we're, we are now uh, an old enough podcast that we no longer show up on the iTunes new list, new and notable list, and yet we are young enough that we don't have a ton of episodes available. And when iTunes, which by the way is kind of the Google of the podcast world, that's where most people find out about you. When they uh, decide how high up in their list to show your podcast, when potential new listeners are looking for podcasts, they take into consideration how many episodes you have, uh, how many downloads listeners have done, and then the, how many ratings you have. And for a not brand new, but still fairly young podcast like ours, the ratings becomes key. So we definitely need you. And I do want to say thanks to our three most recent reviews. Uh, thank you to Johnny Savage. Thank you also to Dustin Hartzler, who has a podcast of his own called Your Website Engineer. And also thank you to Wade Wingler, who has a podcast called Fathers Over 40. Thanks, guys. So if you're listening to us today and you think, yeah, I don't mind taking a minute and uh, writing a review to, to pr help promote the Engaging Leader podcast, just go to engagingleader.com forward slash iTunes, or you can just go to our main homepage and click on the big iTunes button in the top right. Or you can go to the iTunes application and just search for Engaging Leader. And then you're just looking for the button that says, write a review. Thanks a lot for your consideration. And now let's get back to our content. Well, let's move on. Uh to number three, which is take blame and share credit. When this happens in the moment, when there's something that goes wrong and you decide, are you going to take blame or sh or something goes right and you decide, who am I going to make sure gets the credit for this? If, if you can take a step back from that moment and have a longer term perspective and realize that what you say and do as a leader is going to live beyond that moment, it is going to make a difference on, is whether the team and the organization as a whole 
is willing to be innovative and take risks. And how you handle those two things is going to make all the difference in the world. I love how Lincoln, uh, when he, after being frustrated with general after general letting him down in the fight against the South, he finally uh, sees a glimmer of hope in Ulysses Grant. Grant, when he was still a, a fairly junior officer, was leading his troops and actually taking action and taking some risks and having some successes when the rest of the, of the military was being v- way overly con- uh, conservative. And, but, and at one point, uh, Grant uh, led an attack early in the war and won, and Lincoln sent him a message that said, I now wish to make the personal acknowledgement that you were right and I was wrong. I actually thought you were being too risky there, and I didn't agree with your strategy, but you know, I, didn't, I, I went ahead and let you make the call, and I see that you were right and I was wrong. And what, I mean, it's amazing what that will do to a person when you when you basically say look when i'm willing to take blame, to take ownership of the blame and i'm willing to to say publicly who was right and when that that came back to him years later when he finally had made grant the commander in chief and he brought grant to washington and and they so that they could really make sure they were on the same page and find out everything he thought grant needed and, and Based on his past experience with generals like McClellan, he was used to the generals never being willing to move forward into battle, instead always having some excuse and some demand for more troops or more resources. And as Grant was leaving and saying, okay, well, I'm going to go, I'll go lead the, the army against the South, and Lincoln said, well, is there anything else I need? And Grant said, absolutely not. You've given me everything I could want and more. And he said, should my success be less than I desire and expect, the least I can say is the fault is not with you. Grant was saying, I'm willing to take a risk and step out on a limb, take full ownership for these results because of the environment that you've created, the way you've supported me all along. Well, these were really great men. And you know, the thought that comes to me is broad shoulders. And, and when you have leaders like this, you know, the people that, that, that they're leading just have to feel so confident to see you know, shoulders that broad that they're not afraid to take the blame. They're that confident about what they're doing. And they're saying that, if, you know, if I don't reach the goal, it's not going to be, it's going to be my fault. You know, but they're, they're also saying that they expect to be successful. And so it, those are, to me, are really broad shoulders. All right, well, let's move on to uh, number four here, which is be flexible. I love this. Use a compass to follow true north, but navigate around the pond. Yes, this is not in the book, and I don't think it, I've not found any evidence that Lincoln actually used this metaphor, but in the movie Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln, there's a great scene where he is talking with the powerful uh, chairman of the House Ways and Means, Thaddeus Stevens, who was a staunch abolitionist. They are having this private argument because uh, in the in the fight in early 1865 for the 13th Amendment, which uh, freed the slaves, Thaddeus Stevens was really pushing for more powerful language and trying to get for, um, full equal rights for blacks. 
And Lincoln, really sensing the, had a greater sense for what the public really could support and what was feasible to actually get accomplished, really wanted to limit the discussion to just slavery. Just keep it on the issue of slavery. And let's not make a deal out of whether we're trying to say that publicly that we think blacks are equal to whites, because that was a, a very anti, uh, it was not, it was an unpopular sentiment. And uh, he, so they were arguing about this and, you know, uh, Stevens wants to say, but you know, that is what's right. And Lincoln says, well, you know, back when I used to be a surveyor, before he was a lawyer, he was a, a land surveyor. I used a compass to get around and my compass always showed me where true north was. And so when I was walking through the woods following true north, I actually couldn't just go straight toward true north because if I came to a pond or a swamp, I had to go around that. So, you know, life is not always either or and black or white. You got to have some flexibility and know what your long-term values are and your principles, but what's the point of, of sticking totally to true north if you're stuck in the swamp? It's a great scene in the, in the movie, and it actually ends up persuading Stevens so that, and he, he tones down his language in that, and at least in the movie, that is what ultimately made uh, the, the, the amendment pass. Wow, that is a, that is a great analogy. It's um, especially you know in times like today, I guess probably in any times. I mean, you have people with very strong values and principles, maybe in the political sphere, and uh, and it's it's tricky sometimes to stay on that path and 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 be dedicated to a long term goal when you, when you find it necessary to veer around certain obstacles and at times be pragmatic, but you know. How many times do do sometimes our leaders get off track and they never really get back on track to true north? Yeah, and it's what's tough is it requires some emotional intelligence. You know, these are my values, but what is actually practical here, given the feelings that these people have, and given the realities of our situation? And there are some subtleties there, and that so you you know you just have to do your best to know. Okay, I'm heading in that direction, but I got to be willing to navigate around the pond and around the swamp, and and have a little more of a nuanced understanding instead of everything being, uh, you know, this or that. You know, and like we discussed before, there's you know Lincoln had a, had respect for the, the for time. You know, his, it wasn't that he didn't want to reach true north, or he didn't want to. You know, have the full solution uh, that the abolitionists, abolitionists were seeking. It's just that sometimes in in, in life you have to uh, let some time pass. You know, let you know give things time to to reach their their moment, and uh, you know eventually you get there. But you know, you think about a problem in in the workplace, and and um, it it may not get solved in the next hour or two or the next day. Sometimes you have to let tempers, uh, you know, subside or feelings to, to, you know, cool off a little bit before you can sit down and really uh, analyze the situation and really come, up, come to the right conclusion. Yeah, that's right. And, and again, Lincoln was an example of that too. He had his, uh, the, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, <laughs> I always have a hard time saying that, he had that in his hand and held on to it for a while until he and his cabinet 
were sure that it was the right time to announce that. There were other things that in the long-term history of ending slavery that they just had to wait until the, the public mood was right. And sometimes that took months or years. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, wrap up here with number five, which is focus on long-term results. Communicate the vision continually. This is still kind of connected to what we, the, the, the true north metaphor that we just talked about with that compass, where you know where you're going, you know your true north, and you keep that in front of yourself and in front of other people. And this is one of the things I think that is amazing about Lincoln. We think back and we say, oh, he's the guy that uh, won the Civil War, he ended slavery, or you might say he kept the Union together, and we don't realize just how tough that was to do, that there was so much splitting it apart, and you had these border states that were decided to stay in the Union for now, but it was all real tentative, and he had to navigate that very carefully, and all these little battles that came up along the way. And he really understood that his main message needed to be about the value of the United States, where some people in the North were saying, let's, let's just really make this a slavery issue. And slavery was, in fact, you know, the, the main thing that split the country apart and that you know, led to the Civil War. But for Lincoln to put all focus on slavery, he, he actually had to take a step back and say, well, there is no freedom for the slaves if there is no United States of America. We we can't free slaves in a country that is that is split apart. We we have no influence over the South if we're not a union. And beyond that, this country is a great big experiment in freedom and self-government. And the whole world is watching us to see can people actually lead ourselves? And if we get cut in half right now, that's probably going to lead to further splintering down the road. And we're just proven to the world that common people cannot lead themselves, that we need to have an aristocracy and a, and a monarchy over top of us. And so he framed the whole thing as a people's contest, where we're, it's a struggle for maintaining in the world that we have this substance of government that elevates the condition of men and lifts artificial weights from all shoulders to clear the paths of laudable pursuit for all, and to give everyone an unfettered start and a fair chance in a race of life. And so he elevated it to these broad, grand principles that, yes, slavery was part of that, but it was more than that. And so even if you didn't care about slavery or you, maybe you were even for slavery, you still could get, you could see the importance of what he was talking about, and it was worth fighting for. It, it, there's, I'm sure, many parallels to different times in history, but, you know, my historic understanding of, of that period of time was that, you know, really ample, it, slavery was just one of those issues that it was like the, the, the spark in, in a, you know, dry wood, you know, and maybe it even was a political football in his time. And there were a lot of differences, uh, many of them economic between the North and the South. So there was, there was, you know, division and there was people who, whose purpose it was to, to split the country. And, and a lot of this came from outside of the United States, from, from foreign countries. You know, maybe maybe across the world, people, just, the monarchists and others, just felt like this was too frightening. And they could see that the United States was headed for greatness and power. So, and so 
to think that here comes along a president who who can see this in, in, a, long, in a big picture, in a long term, doesn't get bogged down in the slavery thing, even though he, he believes it's important. And, and he gets this clear vision, you know, and whether he's you know, dealing with the, the politicians in Washington or whether he's visiting troops, um, he's, he's, he keeps putting this vision out there that the nation's worth fighting for. And it's, it's, it's a bold experiment. It's never been done before. Most important thing is to hold all, all that together. And so he's constantly communicating that vision. We have records of him in the summer of 1864, less than a year before the war ended. He was visiting troops in the field and uh, his speech to them was short, but it, it reminded them that the country had not forgotten about them and reminded them of the purpose for their fighting, that it wasn't just for today, but it was sort of this grand ideal and a nation worth fighting for. And so we're, we may not, may not be the president of the United States in wartime, but we all have a team or people that we are influencing. And if we can try to remember what is the ultimate long-term results from this, what is the, the outcome that we can get proud, be proud about and remind people from that time to time, and it's going to feel redundant to us, but your talk and maybe to your, your closest circle might feel redundant to them too. But, you know, a lot of people are only going to hear that a handful of times and they need to hear it repeatedly to sink in in the first place and also to just believe it over time because it's consistency over time that makes a vision like that believable and one that can actually engage people. Well, we've been talking about five secrets nearly anyone can use to be an extraordinary leader. And we took inspiration for these from the life of Abraham Lincoln and if you haven't already caught it, I definitely encourage you to check out the movie Lincoln, which is still in theaters, but probably not for a whole lot longer. That's uh, a Steven Spielberg flick. I would definitely recommend it. If you enjoy that, I think you'll, I think you'll pick up some of what really made Abe Lincoln a, an effective leader. And that movie is based in part on the book Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln by Doris Kearns Goodwin. That was a fascinating read. It was long, about a thousand pages, but well worth it. And really, I would say the best biography that I can recall reading of Abraham Lincoln definitely gave me, finally gave me the insight as to just what made him an extraordinary leader. Let me just uh, review these for you real quick. First of all, one, get the right people on the bus and then give them full authority to make decisions appropriate to their accountability. Two, practice mutual respect and involvement. Three, take blame and share credit. Four, be flexible. Use a compass to follow true north, but navigate around the swamp. And five, focus on long-term results. Communicate the vision continually. So we've talked about five principles this week. Next week, for Engaging Lincoln Part 2, we're going to look at tactics. We're going to talk about six tactics nearly anyone can use to be an extraordinary communicator. And we've got some more stories from the life of Lincoln that will provide a good, interesting learning opportunity. If you'd like to join in the discussion about today's topic, you can call us and leave a message at 888-201-8450 that we can play on the air, or leave your comments on our website at engagingleader.com. You can just go to our show notes for this episode and leave some comments. Or connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers on internal communication strategies. 
Find out more at AspinaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Arthur Hankey, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about. <laughs>